We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. When you visit Chicago, the one place every Civil War and Lincoln-era student has to see is the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop at 357 West Chicago Avenue. We'll talk today live from Springfield and the Abraham Lincoln Association Annual Meeting, the proprietor owner of the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop, Dan Weinberg. Find out what's going on in the Lincoln world with us today on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. If you are a parent of a child with autism, you know that there can be day-to-day struggles emotionally. Now you can share insights and outlooks with the Mother Cub Show. Your host, Susan Lynn Perry, a parent of a child with autism, will bring a new perspective to the subject, from diagnosis to effective treatments that are working. Her guests will include professionals, authors, and individuals that will bring wonder and hope to the world of autism. Tune in to the Mother Cub Show, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Follow the World Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at World Talk Radio. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the World Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash World Talk Radio or follow along with us at World Talk Radio, the World Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? If you are looking to get started or are currently operating a home-based business, you might be looking for answers. What are the risks? What business should I get started in? How will I market my business? How do I balance my professional life with my other life? For answers, you need to tune into The Home-Based Business Show with Helene Leontzos. Each week, we'll bring you a step-by-step practical guide to starting and maintaining your home-based business. Listen every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you this week from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking for the university, always just for myself. My guests will do the same. And listeners know normally I'd tell you a little more about who's going to come up on the show and what else is 
going on and on campus and how the Greenville Stars are doing. I'll do all that later in the show today because I'm going to rush to get to our guest. He's a busy man and he's got somewhere to be. Our guest today, Daniel R. Weinberg, is the owner and proprietor of the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop in Chicago, Illinois, the legendary Abraham Lincoln Bookshop. He's also a member of the Board of Directors of the Abraham Lincoln Association, and today, February 11th, 2011, is annual meeting day for the ALA. Uh, Dan is in Springfield, Illinois, on the road in the heart of Lincoln country, and has uh, very graciously taken time out, I think he's actually missing a part of the meeting, to be with us today. So, uh, no further chit-chat. Dan, are you there? I am here, and I appreciate you getting me out of a meeting. Well, see, there's something in it for both of us. I've, I've been on that board, and I've been to those meetings, so I, I know you're not kidding. Uh, uh, they, they can go for a while. Um, but let's talk I am about in them. the old state capitol, which is nice, so I am right where Wonderful. Lincoln was. What, what, what room are you in? Where are you in the old state capitol? I'm actually in the basement uh, below the capitol itself, where the library is, and uh, I'm down, downstairs. Now, that was once the the Illinois State Library. That, that's where the whole Lincoln collection was before they built the, the new museum. Is exactly, there still? and now it was, it's all over there, and there's still some offices over here, but uh, really, basically, it's emptied. Ah, so all, all the good stuff has been moved over to the, the presidential library. Exactly. Well, I, I've spent time down there in the, the below the state capitol, but it is a, a great building to be in. Is that where the uh, ALA is holding their meeting inside the old state capitol? Yes, we always do in the uh, in the old library room. Actually, the reading room. It's uh, now a uh, large conference table, and they can do things like this. Okay, I, I think the last time I was on the board, we were still meeting at a club room or something. Uh, uh, oh, really? Uh, uh, but it, it was that was a while ago. Yes, that's right. I remember when they were doing the club rooms. In fact, they were meeting at the Abraham Lincoln Hotel. That's right. That was another. Uh, I do remember that. Yeah. So, uh, well, what's on the agenda for for the uh, association? What is what is happening in the Lincoln world that the Abraham Lincoln Association is is attending to this year? Well, as you know, the associate Abraham Lincoln Association grew out of the Lincoln Centennial Association back in 1909, chartered in you know, eight. And after a while, it became apparent that it wasn't the centennial any longer. So they uh, renamed it uh, Abraham Lincoln Association. And uh, we, you know, we always meet, as you know, uh, every February 12th. We have a symposium of speakers come in in the old state capitol itself. We're in the of Rep- Hall of Representatives, and we sit there. And if you know exactly where to sit, you can sit where Lincoln was. Uh. <laughs> and I always try to find that chair. Uh, and so, uh, and then after that, we have the big meeting in the evening where we have a banquet and uh, a speaker every year. Obama was here uh, a couple of years ago, so uh, it, it's always a, a fun time. And uh, all the Lincoln world really does focus on Springfield at, on his birthday. Uh, it, it does, and, and to, that symposium in the afternoon in the, the old state capitol really is a wonderful place to hear uh, history discussed by by historians. You, you feel you're part of, uh, as you say, the, the Lincoln world. You can sit where he sat, or if you're giving a talk, it, it crosses your mind. Uh, you know, the man himself stood here once and addressed this body, and now I'm the house divided. The, the house divided speech was given there. It's really. Uh, um, 
for, for those of us uh, in, involved in public history, whether uh, through a commercial or a nonprofit, uh, as you and I both are, uh, nothing touches the past like, like being in the place, either, either having the physical artifact, uh, a, a document, a book, a paper, or, or the, the location. Uh, th- there's nothing like it, is there? Well, of course, I deal in artifacts, and uh, each artifact brings me to the moment when human need or desire produced it, and uh, the story unfolds. And, of course, that's what, to me, history is, the stories. And each artifact has that, and being in the place as well uh, does put you in a special frame of mind, and ghosts can arise. They they definitely can. I will urge all our listeners, uh, if if they haven't done so, uh, to find a way to get to Springfield and, and visit the old state capitol. It really is a magnificent site. Uh, and almost came down. You know, if it wasn't for a number of people way back then who, and it's only been, you know, maybe 30 years, am I right? 35 years, that it almost came down and they instead, uh, a small band saved it and put the state library underneath, and that's how the monies came to put the state library underneath and then save the building above. Otherwise, it would have been raised. Yeah, that, that's it's just almost impossible to imagine the uh, uh, the way it's been restored to to recreate the look in Lincoln's time. Really, is uh, uh, just just a, it's a wonderful building, and then you you can see the the corner office that Lincoln used during the. Uh, his time as president-elect. Uh, I was just thinking about the old governor's office, and the governor vacated for him, and uh, he was in there, and he had uh, the press and well-wishers and uh, people he needed to see, uh, and also sketch artists and oil painters who came in just to do some sketches and then produce something afterward. So he was really uh, almost uh, surrounded in that in that room. Yeah, it is it is a great. Just a great place to visit. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of it. Um, I'm trying to think of the the the, the man who who is the historical director there. Um, well, the state historian is Tom Schwartz. Tom, I, I, there's but there's someone who works for Tom who who does the state capitol and, and well, um, James Cornelius, uh, the library. No, that, that's the library guy. I'm blanking on his, his name, and that's not fair to him. I shouldn't. Justin Blanford. That's who I'm thinking of. Justin. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, he's certainly uh, very knowledgeable about the place, and will will give you a lot of detail about it if you visit there. Yeah, I'm sitting in his office, speaking to you right now. No. Well, well please say hello to him for me when you're done here, and uh, I will do that. I'm looking uh, at Lincoln books and. Uh, Saying, well, I've read that one and that one. I own that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Lincoln books, um, the 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 press is always on for. Uh, I, I mean, no one can can literally keep up and read every new thing. But I was sitting innocently uh, at home last night, uh, remotely logged onto my work computer and doing some some chores. And one of my colleagues in the department who likes to cause trouble sent an article around to everyone uh, uh, from the Washington Times, uh, the, which was headlined, New Book Shows Lincoln Plans to Deport Blacks. I believe that was the, uh, or Deport Freed Slaves. Uh-huh. Now, it's about a new book uh, just come out that deals with Lincoln and colonization, mm-hmm. but there's nothing in, in the book that I can tell, either from that article or other articles. I haven't seen the book itself yet. Um, 
that says there's anything, there's any new document showing Lincoln planned any deportation of anybody. Uh, but the book simply talks about Lincoln and colonization, a story that, that you're familiar with already. Um, so my I'm question, though, is... I'm not sure what his, where he's getting his thesis, and uh, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see it, but if it's wrong, not to flog it. I guess that's right. It's not something you'd want to uh, uh, to push. What's the? Let me give you the name of it here for our listeners' benefit. Not that I'm trying to sell copies of it. Uh, Colonization after emancipation by Philip W. Magnus and Sebastian Page. Sounds um, like there may have been an agenda there. Well, one wonders. Um, there, they, on the other hand, the cover has the the the, the signing, uh, the, the reading of the Emancipation uh, uh, painting, the Carpenter painting, and the subtitle is Lincoln and the Movement for Black Resettlement, mm-hmm. uh, not not deportation, but voluntary resettlement. Uh, perhaps it's a serious book. It's published by University of Missouri Press, so it's not not. not Immediately dispensable as a nut book, uh, of which you know there are plenty in our field. Oh um, yes, but yet you know, um, you know, Lincoln was not positive the two races could li- live uh, equitably together, and I think he worried about that too. Uh, so you know, it was a different era, and who would have thunk it that we could live, and hopefully we are living a better life together than separate. But uh, I, I think Lincoln wondered about that and thought perhaps it might be better to separate the races because of the the antagonism that was there, certainly from uh, the freedmen. I would have been enraged at that. But uh, it doesn't mean that he wanted to deport anyone. No, I, I had the same reaction. Uh, you know, you, you know, from Lincoln's address to the, the black delegation he spoke to in, in the summer of 1862, he said just that. You know, if, if freed slaves wanted to leave, you, know, you could hardly blame them, and it does seem difficult to imagine a multiracial future. You know, we've certainly struggled with it for the last hundred years, but but yeah, we're making alive. progress. One hopes. Well, let me ask you about other books on on the the, the front. Um, uh, listeners who aren't getting your uh, email from the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop ought to. Uh, I, I imagine if they send really an email, from virtual book signing, uh, Jerry, because that's where the new books where we highlight. We hope the best books that are coming out and uh, have people actually watch a live broadcast uh, while we discuss the books, and they can email in questions, so they're virtually with us. I, I, exactly, and, and they need to. So, people, if they want to see those, they, they should uh, get on your mailing list, your email list, so they know when yeah, they're happening. Virtualbooksigning.net or AbrahamLincolnBookshop.com. There's a, a portal there as well. That that's the place to go. And and these virtual book signings, as you say, they take place. Uh, you know, there's a video you can watch the author signing the book. Well, actually, it's it's, not, it's live. And uh, we have our own camera and soundboard and lights, and mm-hmm. uh, I interview uh, these uh, these authors that we bring in, usually two at a time for an hour, and we have good discussions, very interesting. Uh, of course, we have to read the books first, so we can ask intelligent questions, and our listeners uh, will email in good questions, and then people, if they want them, they can actually buy a book and have have it sent out to you, signed or inscribed, so it's a lot of fun. And, and educational, so that's what I like about it. I, I, I had the pleasure of doing it. I think Stephen Barry and I. The, uh, yes, that's right. The uh, the the Lincoln 
one, not the uh, not Dave Barry, yeah, the, not the, the humorist. No, um, yeah, we got to do that a few years ago, and it was a lot of fun and uh, uh, and great to get the, the emails coming in literally from around the world. So, but you know, there have been so many good books coming out. I, I, I don't know about you, I was amazed. I knew that there'd be an onslaught with '09 and beyond, right? But I was surprised how how good they were. It was really a high level for most of them. What's uh, I'll put you on the spot. You're a bookseller. Don't want to offend your your author clientele. But what what's a good one that, that comes to mind in the last year or two? Um, well, nothing's coming to mind because uh, I'm immersed in in my board meetings here. But uh, <laughs> really, it's true. Um, the Age of Lincoln by Burton, Orville uh, Burton, yes. I think is an excellent book, and really shows not only how Lincoln himself grew in Illinois, but how Illinois impacted him, especially Illinois being a crossroads for so many different political stripes that Lincoln had to know and understand and deal with as he went on both the legal and political circuits through Illinois. So Illinois you know, goes from up in Chicago, up way up north, to Cairo, which is further south than Richmond. So we're a very diverse state, and the middle area where he was was like a border state. And he had to deal with all the different stripes of people, politically, social. And I think that he learned a great deal from being in the milieu that he was in. Well, I think you know, Burton does a good job in, in that book. That is, I would agree, that's a really, really interesting book and, and enjoyed uh, uh, talking with Vernon Burton on this show, and, and run into him a couple times. He's in this neck of the woods, and, and uh, near. He has now. We have to give him up, unfortunately, from That's Illinois. That's right. He was at Illinois, and, and came to South Carolina, and uh, uh, just across the border here. So, uh, yeah, I would highly agree that that's a very interesting book. I think McPherson's um, book on Lincoln as Commander in Chief uh, was, is, I think, an excellent work. Uh, pithy. Uh, easy to read, and um, uh, like like anything McPherson writes, it's just uh, good insights, and it does put him in the forefront as commander in chief, which we need to remember now for the next few years of Civil War, Sesqui. Yeah, which there's going to be a lot of uh, clearly. Are are you doing anything at the shop particular for the 150th? Uh, uh, no, I just think we'll try to survive. Uh, nothing really in particular, no, I guess not. Just more of this, and really, uh, our energies are, are artifacts as they come through, letters and busts and oils, and you know, we have the uh, Appomattox Courthouse desk back again, uh, one of the three that was in there. So certainly showing those and uh, trying to find good homes for them, but the virtual book signing is really something we're focusing on quite a bit because we hope to actually help the hardcover book in these times of the Kindle and, uh, and help it survive for as long as it can hold on. Well, that's, that is something I want to ask you about. We're going to take a short break and come back in a minute, but I'm going to ask about the, the book in the modern era. Uh, and if anyone can answer it, it'll be our guest today, Daniel R. Weinberg from the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop. We'll be back in just a moment with more Civil War Talk Radio. Now you don't 
don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. People are looking for hands-on alternatives to conventional psychotherapy. Long-term therapy and medications to treat depression and anxiety are no longer the only answer. Tune in to Holistic Answers to Mental Health with your host, Aileen Neely. Let Aileen show you the techniques of energy psychology. You'll learn some of the more effective methods being used to treat stress, anxiety, marital issues, infertility, and empowerment. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and happenings at the World Talk Radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking today with Dan Weinberg. He's the owner, proprietor of the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop in downtown Chicago. Uh, he is the uh, has been in charge there for. Uh, or has been involved there for 40 years, I believe, if my yeah, research 39. here is correct. Yeah, September uh, will be 40. Wow. And, Dan, that, that's uh, almost as long as, as Ralph Newman, who founded the store, was, uh, was yeah, involved. Yeah, that's true, too. I know. So, uh, I don't know if you wanted to be reminded of that, but... Uh, <laughs> the, the question that comes, the, what, what comes to mind, then, is, is after this, this, this magnificent store has been there, and, and our listeners anywhere in the Midwest have dropped in, if you... Uh, listeners, if you haven't, if you're in Chicago, it's uh, 357 Chicago Avenue. You want to. West Chicago. Uh, West Chicago Avenue. That's important. Yes. Uh, West Chicago Avenue. You want to uh, go in and uh, see it. It is not just books, but also artifacts, documents, artwork. Uh, uh, but Dan, uh, if, if, when you read the news, you see the United States has uh, really only two major book store retail chains and uh, one of them seems to be tottering in, 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 in financial difficulty. Uh, you mentioned uh, in our first segment just at the end there the, the Kindle, the, the Nook, the various electronic book substitutes that are coming out. Um, you, you've weathered the storm thus far. How do things look? Well, you know, technology is technology. It's go- always going to advance and I'm sure there were a large number of monks who were very unhappy with Gutenberg. <laughs> so here we are in the same situation. And books, I don't know what the future is. I can't, you know, I can't say that, but my feel is that books are going to be goners. And if you want a book, cloth book, then you're going to get it through uh, on demand. You might pay ninety bucks or one hundred and ten bucks, and you'll you'll get your book. But it's going to be driven by the electronics now, and that's where it's going to be. And certainly, as time goes on, you can't take a book out into space. I mean, we're going to be out there in large numbers, so books are going to be gone in that regard. It won't be enough to keep 
them going except for a few who want to pay for that. But that doesn't mean reading is down. It's not. And interest is down. It's not. Maybe collectibles in the future will be, you know, there won't be the Steinbeck, first edition Steinbecks to sell anymore. Uh, maybe there'll be a way to do that. But um, then again, I'm in that world, and I want to keep it going for as long as I can because it's my world, and I enjoy it. And like many others, I like to have a book in my hand, although there's a place for Kindle, and I have one, and I use it. Hmm. But uh, certainly for the books that I want, they're nowhere close to being on Kindle, and I need them now. And so I'm fascinated still with the with real cloth and being able to put it on the shelf and even have a the author sign it. It's just I, I feel good having that. But I think that uh, the book industry as such is going to change. It's already changed dramatically, and it's going to change even more. Well, that that certainly seems the case. Uh, from from the other angle, from the the author's angle, certainly it's a struggle to uh, for academic authors to get published. Uh, I see that with people in my department uh, wanting to get tenure. That the academic publishers are, are taking different tacks now. It's not the same world we we came up in in terms of getting a book published. Uh, I, I don't have an electronic uh, reader yet. Uh, I'm sure I will at some point. And as I look around at the books in my office, I, I just cannot imagine them not being there. But I suppose if you told me I could have all of them there in my hand in one device, the way an iPod can put my whole record collection that, that from the 60s that weighs you know, 200 pounds in my pocket, um, I, I suppose it's hard to resist that. I'm going to miss the dust jacket art. That's that, really, I, I enjoy that. Uh, yeah. I love seeing it. And it's not bad decoration for a wall, many, many books. Well, you know, again, the analogy with, with vinyl there, uh, the, the album cover as an art form has disappeared yes. because yes. Uh, CDs are much smaller and electronic forms of music have no covers at all. Uh, so it's simply gone. It's simply a visual medium we no longer have. But you can put any number of images uh, online, taking up no space. Uh, so the argument there, I guess, is, is uh, well, it's different. Uh, something is lost and something is gained. Yes, exactly it. Exactly it. Well, let me turn to something more solid then in terms of Civil War history. The, uh, if, if the book, and, and it's interesting to get your perspective as someone who deals professionally in books, uh, uh, is headed uh, towards uh, obsolescence. The historical artifact, uh, we haven't found a suitable electronic replacement for it. something that you just, just described, uh, one of the tables that was in McLean's parlor at Appomattox uh, that is right now in your shop. Um, will historic artifacts... For, for letters, uh, which we've always relied on as an artifact that with content, uh, that's going electronic, if not the way of Twitter. And well, and how well, I, I, how we communicate is not going to might not be there for the next generation of historians to see. No, I think that's certainly true. I think I'd, I would hate to be a historian of the modern world where all the significant communication is ephemeral and disappears. But uh, uh, WikiLeaks, I suppose, notwithstanding. Uh, but but I'm referring to more of the things from the Civil War era. Uh, that market, that interest. Uh, you know they're not making any new Civil War artifacts. Uh, those... no, they're trying. A few people are trying, but you're right. They're not. 
and so do you see that market holding up or that, that public interest holding up in, in items, especially with the sesquicentennial? Uh, I see the interest there, but then again, I'm inside that interest, and it's hard to look into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I see roundtables, I'm, I'm sounding negative today, but uh, when I see the Civil War roundtables and the Civil War shows, and uh, they're graying. And younger people don't seem to be, uh, they connect differently. Mm-hmm. And they don't connect bodily. They seem to connect electronically. Uh, so they don't. So the the moose and the elk are having the same problem as the Civil War Roundtable, uh, and we're not getting as many new people as we would like. And maybe even the collecting way that way, uh, because you don't go to shows, you don't see what is there, and get interested as even a kid with an artifact that uh, that that could ameliorate to some extent. But I certainly see great interest in historical artifacts and relics and uh, the enjoyment of seeing them, holding them, being a part of people's lives. You know, and, and people talk about the graying of the, the collector market or, or people interested in the Civil War in general, but I wonder if to some extent that's just a feature of, of what collecting is about. That uh, uh, I, I look at my students uh, in the current Civil War class, and I see a, a, a strong current of interest among some of them. Uh, but they don't have the resources as college students to collect anything substantial. Uh, wouldn't you expect most collectors to be further along in life when they've got some uh, some disposable income? Yeah, that's very true. That's a good point. And it does take, uh, but but it doesn't take much disposable income to be a collector. You're going to collect on a different level mm-hmm. than Bill Gates, but you can still true. be a collector, hmm. and you can enjoy the collection that you have and make it something unique to yourself that you enjoy and and love to show and and has meaning and you can use as a hobby um so i've I've tried to discourage people from saying oh i'm not a collector i i just have uh paperbacks well i tell them that you have a collection just don't expect it to be worth a huge amount after you but it's you enjoy it and that's your hobby and that's your collection uh, when you get more disposable, then okay, then you go out and buy a, a signed first edition of uh, Killer Angels uh, or a Appomattox Courthouse table. So, yes, it does take that, certainly. You said you have, by the way, the Appomattox Courthouse table that you're, you're holding, I guess, as agent for, for its owner, looking for a buyer. If I wanted to put that here, the Civil War Talk Radio Headquarters office, um, what would that cost me? <laughs> well, for you, a special price <laughs> for Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, for the table, uh, we have two point two five million on it, um, and it's, well, I... to me, it's the story. Mm-hmm. And the story is, uh, you know, I how did I come up to that? Well, I'm even down a little bit from where I think it could go because I was trying to make a case for it being the same as, same story, as good a story, as a few letters that have gone now for $3.4 million. Hmm. A Washington and two Lincolns. Wow. And those are stunning prices. Uh, but, but I thought this table has the same impact of a story as those. So uh, that's how the case I mean. So I've, I've backed off because of the economy, but I think it's still 
is an important piece because it was used in McQueen House by uh, Grant's uh, aide, Ellie Parker, who uh, a half-blood of Seneca, who sat at the table and because of his penmanship, um, he transcribed the final draft of the uh, the declaration that Lee and Grant signed, the surrender document. And, of course, the other two tables that were there, one bought for $40 by General Ord in the Chicago History Museum. Uh, the other that went from uh, Sheridan purchased, some saying just throwing $20 right onto the floor and saying, here, I'm taking this. And that's the one that Grant hit, was at and uh, wrote out the terms that he and Lee uh, had to talk about. Uh, that was in the Smithsonian through Custer. Sheridan gave it to Custer. Uh, and then this one that Gideon Wells, Secretary of the Navy, his son, Thomas, was on Ord's staff. And he was in the room, and he saw Ord take his table, Sheridan take that table. So he knew his father, Gideon, was a collector as well, who he had got chairs later from the Richmond White House, and he had all sorts of things. Big collection. So he got that for him and brought it home. And it was uh, in Thomas's office. He is a memorandum that writes about it being in the corner of his office after he got it from Gideon. And uh, later, his grandson actually used it for a fish tank. Uh, and it got a little warped because of that, while the water's sloshing. But now it's, uh, it, it actually has been made a little bit better than it should have been by the first collector that I gave it to who changed it a bit and shouldn't have done all the conservation he did. But as they say, ghosts still arise from it, and it still is uh, an important table that did important work. Uh, did you get it then from the Wells family? It went up at auction. Oh, okay. Uh, back in the 80s. I see. And I purchased it and sold it to a collector I knew who had a wonderful collection going on. And then uh, after he passed, I got the estate and then uh, found the present owner, and he even added on to it because he has a piece of the surrender flag that uh, Custer cut up for various people, and also a general order number nine, Lee's farewell to his troops, um, that was on the field, and with a wonderful story t attached to it as well by the surgeon who was able to get it. Wow. So... so um so all these things make make the story together. The the each one is valuable by itself, but when you combine them, there's the whole story right there. Wow! Exactly, and poignant too because of the Lee uh, story. Actually, it's, it's it's funny. The memorandum by this uh, surgeon, uh, he had come on the field and went to Johnston's headquarters. He was with I think the Seventh Virginia, and he uh, went into, went to Johnston's headquarters, saw the general order on display, uh, you know, because everyone was reading it. And he liked it so much that he wrote it out himself. And he sent it off to Lee to sign. And he writes in his memorandum and later after the war that a courier came back and gave him the admonition from Walter Taylor, Lee's aide, don't bother the general. <laughs> well, the general signed it. Wow. And uh, here it is. Wow. That is, is really something to have. I can't yeah. say there was more than 12 or 15 of these probably on the field. No. It's interesting that Lee, after the war, for $10, would sign a copy if you sent it to him. 
he gave the $10 to soldiers' homes, Confederate. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that a collector who owned this table and did some things that he perhaps shouldn't have done with it, um, uh, which brings to mind the, the current story that, that uh, I guess many Lincoln people are thinking of. Uh, a, a person we know uh, in the field who, who damaged a document in the National Archives um, that doesn't happen very often, as far as I know. Uh, maybe it happens more often than, than we think. But what would you think? The damaging, like you did, but certainly the, the theft or trying to thieve things from the archives—that does happen still. I suppose that this was special, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, what did you think of that? Uh, what was your reaction? Well, you know, for your listeners, if they don't know, this uh, gentleman had uh, gone in there and for for marketing publicity purposes i think he changed an april 14th 1864 to an april 14th 1865 the day lincoln was shot and he changed the 5 and when you look at it you can see it's different in tonality and mm-hmm. uh placement a little bit and you can see that there's something underneath that had been taken away but no one really questioned it when he said, oh, look at this. And uh, I frankly didn't see it. Uh, I'd heard about it, but I never saw a copy of it that I remember mm-hmm. and, or, or looked closely enough. And they didn't in there either. So that was back in 1998, yes? It and was. It, it's been used in two books as well uh, as a story. The, the thing that astonishes me is that the, the 1864 document is in Basler. It's published. That's right, and and none of us thought to. Look, I mean, why would you think to look up something like that? He wouldn't. Well, there's any, the thing. any new document and go look at the same date on alternate years just to be sure that this isn't wouldn't be feasible. But, but no, it's feasible. You just don't do it unless you have a spe- specific interest in right. something to go and look at it. And but no one you know stumbled across it who knew the the story until until this year. And now, and the thing about it is that I'm not sure why it was such a big story even then that he pardoned a man on his last day of his life. Well, you know, how does that add to the story? And can you put any more schmaltz on Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> I don't think so. So it's the sort of thing that it was a non-story to me. Oh, another pardon. It's nice, but it's just another pardon. Okay, it's on April 14th. For that reason, to a collector, it would be interesting, but not from the pardon, but from the day. No, and... and uh, so, so I just didn't see the big hullabaloo about it even back then. No, I mean it didn't really tell us anything new, uh, certainly about Lincoln uh, or, or about any uh, anything really. But uh, uh, but there it was. And, and well, he's trying to say that this, you know, is somehow makes him an even more saintly or more poignant story. If you, you, know, you just can't get more poignant. No, no, the last public act was to save someone else's life before he loses his own. It is yes, exactly. dramatic. Um, and he made hail that, too, at the time. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, there's a whole, there, there's a history, uh, not so much of defacing documents, but of, of forging documents in the Lincoln world. Uh, have you ever dealt in, in forgeries that you knew were forgeries to forgery collectors? I'm a forgery collector. Ah, well, Actually, I have about uh, 40-ish Lincoln forgeries that I've collected over the years, mainly to take them off the, the market. 
so that they're not there. So people won't be fooled by them. And I don't pay a huge amount, but I pay something. And eventually this will be a good research forgery collection, and I'll get it to some institution so it'll be off the market permanently. Uh, but they still come up, and uh, people need to, be, need to be careful about that. But forgeries are a fascinating subject. Uh, Charlie Hamilton, you know, wrote a book on, on forgeries, and others have. And uh, it's, it's fascinating, especially to me as an entrepreneur, because someone walks into the shop, I have to decide right then and there whether to buy it or not. Yeah, because otherwise you'll never, it'll be gone. Dan, do you have time to come back for another 10 minutes after this, or, or do you need to get to your meeting? I do need, but I'll give you another 10, sure. Let's do it. Okay. I'm, well, I'm enjoying we'll, myself. Well, well, we appreciate that. Then uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes with a few final words with Daniel R. Weinberg of the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Are you looking for tips, tricks, secrets, and techniques that you can use anywhere, anytime, on virtually any problem? Tune in to Magic at Your Fingertips with EFT virtuoso Teresa Bolin. You are a divine manifestation of love and light. Take back control of your life and create the life that you want using EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques. You'll overcome the obstacles that stand in the way of living your heart's desire. Magic at Your Fingertips airs live at 6 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, and 10 p.m. in Japan on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. If you are looking to get started or are currently operating a home-based business, you might be looking for answers. What are the risks? What business should I get started in? How will I market my business? How do I balance my professional life with my other life? For answers, you need to tune into the Home-Based Business Show with Helene Leontzos. Each week, we'll bring you a step-by-step practical guide to starting and maintaining your home-based business. Listen every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Dan Weinberg. He's the owner, proprietor of the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop at 357 West Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, It's not just a bookstore by any means, but uh, uh, a museum, a uh, a book collector's haven, a place to see art, artifacts, uh, new books, used books signed books, and a place to run into other people with a like interest. Uh, It's not just books about Abraham Lincoln, but uh, a very large collection of Civil War books as well, Uh, books about other historical topics too, but but primarily Lincoln and the Civil War are what uh, I imagine attract most people to go there. Um, You know, it's a a museum, though, that you can walk away with the exhibits. That's for right. You, price, you can, you, for the right price, you can take uh, uh, for you said uh, two million and change. You can take home the table from Appomattox. You can also take home a, a first edition signed 
uh, you know, Bruce Catton book, or you can uh, uh, buy a copy of All for the Regiment, uh, signed by me. I think I've, I signed some of them to you. Yes, you have. I have them now. Uh, so there it's they interesting are. So. You bring up uh, that we're more than Lincoln, we're also Civil War. And I found through the years that there is a certain, uh, I don't want to say wall, but separation between the Civil War buff and the Lincoln buff. And each of them, in a way, uh, have forgotten that Lincoln was commander-in-chief. And I think the, with McPherson's book and others now, I think that the Lincoln people are looking a little bit more at the war, but they didn't always used to. Uh, while the Civil War buff would look at Halleck or McClellan or whomever he had to look at, but, but forgot that Lincoln was mightily involved and didn't study that part of a battle. Uh, so there's been a little bit of a separation there, strangely. I've, I've experienced that. I, I was initially interested in the Civil War from, from childhood, and not until graduate school did I really pay much attention to, to Lincoln's story. It, didn't, it did seem separate. It seemed, uh, he, he seemed almost pacifistic. Uh, of course, he had to issue orders, but he was always pardoning people so they wouldn't get shot and, and just didn't seem like it seemed like one could study the war without having too much to do or say about Abraham Lincoln until I began studying him when I when I worked with uh, David Donald and then it became clear that he was the central figure of the war uh, it started at the top uh, it didn't diminish my interest in the war uh, as such as a military event but it did but I, I definitely recall being on the other side of that wall at one time and thinking, sure. you know, I'm interested in the Civil War, not so much as Lincoln guy. Uh, and I certainly have talked to Lincoln people for whom the war is, is, you know, something Lincoln presides over, but it's not the main thing they're interested in. Uh, it, it's the man himself, and the war is a distraction for them. Yeah. So, But you see that, that barrier diminishing over time. Uh, well, I certainly see it from the Lincoln side because... The war is being, through 09, the bicentennial, numbers of books came out really showing him as a war, as a war president. Uh, and how, from Lincoln to the Telegraph office, for instance, that he was on, on line with the war while it was going on as, as, as it went on. And used the Telegraph to, to be the commander-in-chief. Uh, suggestions, and etc. So he was involved, and uh, we've all learned that. So the uh, um, it really does become impossible to separate the two stories. Uh, it's impossible. Yeah, as as we come into the uh, uh, the sesquicentennial, when we get to Fort Sumter in just a few months, people will be talking about that, and certainly Lincoln's role is central in that. Um, I know you need to get to the Abraham Lincoln Association annual meeting, and I appreciate you taking time to join us today on the show. Let me ask uh, a last question, just open-ended sort of one. Uh, mm -hmm. As we get to Fort Sumter and the, the sesquicentennial of that event, uh, we'll start to see more and more news stories where Lincoln is, or his judgment is being used uh, or, or analyzed critically, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is we'll see people refighting the war and the political issues that go along with it. Uh, to some extent, it's happened during the centennial. Uh, but, but perhaps more distressingly this time, because it's another 50 years on, and there are still people who are going to be arguing that uh, the South was justified, that uh, the war uh, should be interpreted in, in, in a way very different from that that, 
that uh, is traditionally held. Is that something that's just going to happen forever? I think as long as we're human beings, uh, I think that's part of our condition. And uh, we're feisty as a, as a group, and uh, we certainly have different ideations, and we come from different places and think about different things differently uh, that don't always coincide with one's neighbor. If you can be tolerant and discuss, then it's okay. Uh, sometimes you have a civil war. But I, th- well, I think it just might always be like that, yes. Hmm. Wow. Well, that is uh, uh, perhaps not, not perhaps the, the funniest uh, outlook, but, uh, but a very well, reasonable I think one. A, I think it's a reality, and if we, if we know that we're going to come together with different views and allow that to be, even though we think everyone else's view is bunk, uh, at least... We're still discussing, and, and then maybe there will be some enlightenment. Who knows? Uh, so I, I just think we have to go with that flow and and uh, enjoy the controversies. Well, that that uh, there won't be any shortage of those uh, for certain. Well, uh, tonight's speaker for the Abraham Lincoln Association is uh, is Alan Gelzo, the speaker this year. He is. Yes. Uh, well, please please give my best to him uh, when you see him. Uh, I shall over this uh, Abraham Lincoln birthday weekend, and and to everyone else there and uh, at the ALA, which I. Uh, had to drop off the board when I came here to East Carolina. It was too far, and the taxpayers wouldn't fly me back every year. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm we no longer. You. We do, but but we keep in touch through talk radio, talk Civil War radio, and uh, you're doing a wonderful job. I, I hear people talk about this all the time. Actually, they come in. Did you know about this? I said, Well, yes. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's nice to know that uh, you're reaching out in a way that people still enjoy being reached out to. Well, well, certainly from from the email, I get the sense people like it, or the people who complain that now they have to buy another book because they've heard about another author. That's good news <laughs> for all of us when that happens. So, Dan, thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, again, say hi to everyone there, and, and I'm sure you and I will be in touch uh, down the road. Positively, Jerry, I shall, and I appreciate so much for having me here on Lincoln's Lincoln's birthday. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you. Listeners, we'll we'll stay on the line a little longer here uh, to the end of our show. Uh, Normally, we we talk right to the last second, but Dan really was courteous to be on the show today. Uh, We talked yesterday, and he was in Springfield, uh, said, I've got the meeting. Uh, They changed the meeting time was what happened uh, to coincide with our show. So that put him in a bind, and he had uh, agreed to be on uh, when he and I met uh, at Gettysburg last year. Uh, So... Uh, I appreciate him taking time to do that. And I deferred the announcements from the beginning of the show so that we could let him out at least a little bit early. Uh, And I'll bring those to you uh, right now in our last few minutes. Uh, Next week on the show will be Mark Weitz, uh, author, uh, lawyer, I believe, among other things, who has written about desertion in the Confederate armies and also about the piracy and uh, sequestration, if I'm saying that right, cases of 1861, that helped define the uh, legal status of the Confederacy, and I look forward to talking with him about that. Um, Things otherwise here in uh, East Carolina are much as they were the week uh, before. Those of you who are listening may recall my lighthearted remarks about not answering the phone uh, with the vice chancellor calling once the show is on. 
and uh, sure enough, one of my colleagues, uh, whose name we actually mentioned during the show, was listening, and uh, he has not reported that to the vice chancellor yet, but it it's, uh, just shows the danger of, of imagining no one in your own office is paying attention. Uh, in fact, I see the phone is lit up, and one of uh, somebody in academic programs is trying to call me at this moment, and I press the button that automatically answers it and, and laugh, but uh, but not too loudly because they'll, they'll get hold of me shortly anyway. Uh, hopefully, uh, listeners, then you'll be with us again next week. In March, we have more interesting uh, discussions coming up. Uh, well, end of February, February 25th, and then into March, more shows lined up. Uh, also, there's the conference on the public history of the Civil War uh, taking place at North Carolina State University in Raleigh on March 26th. And uh, uh, a former guest on the show last month, Tom Mackey from the Abraham Lincoln Museum at Lincoln Memorial University, along with Aaron Mast of the uh, Lincoln Home, the Lincoln uh, Cottage, the Anderson Cottage, the Lincoln Summer Home uh, in D.C., uh, uh, those two and myself will be in a panel called uh, A Universal Feeling Cannot Be Safely Disregarded. It's about managing public perceptions of Abraham Lincoln. And we'll be talking about things like uh, the subject Dan and I discussed uh, uh, briefly today, the a new book on uh, Lincoln and colonization. What happens when the public seizes on that, puts out misleading headlines, uh, begins circulating it to... Uh, other people talking about it. Uh, are we supposed to be the Lincoln police and try to correct that? What do you do when your friends and co-workers uh, over the water cooler say, oh, I heard, uh, yeah, Stanton had Lincoln murdered. Uh, do you just laugh at it? Uh, do you stop, stop when, when people talk about the Civil War and have outrageous misconceptions about what the fighting was about or how it took place or... or anything, uh, what's the role of, of the, the average person who knows more? What's the role of the professional? Uh, what's the role of the public historian or the academic historian? We'll discuss those things. The uh, uh, last, as we reach near the end of the show, I do want to share with you the all-important Greenville Stars news. Some people have been emailing me saying, what's happening? We're not hearing about the uh, Greenville Stars. When I say some people, I mean one of you, because uh, honestly, I recognize your interest in the uh, youth soccer movement in Greenville, North Carolina, may be somewhat limited. Uh, this year, my daughters are, are not on teams. One is off away at college. The other is playing for her high school team. But I'm playing uh, for the men's over 50 team, and we're going to a tournament in Wilmington tomorrow. So if the show is back on the air next Friday, it means I was not seriously injured in this weekend's tournament. I hope that will be the case. Uh, it will be uh, a, a festival of uh, old and somewhat overweight men running about the pitch, uh, acting as if we were still in our teens, uh, shouting instructions and corrections at one another while making ludicrous mistakes ourselves. That's what, uh, as my daughter calls it, old man soccer is all about, and I'm, I'm anxious to get started. So with the show coming to an end, that's where I'm headed. Uh, next week, again, Mark Weitz will be on the show with me. Looking forward to that. And looking forward, listeners, to having you join us again next week. As always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.